It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to monday.com. Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road and those who travel it wind up in the gut of the prison of the grave. This time I took a beating and gave one. The man who lived in the dark was afraid. Someone I never got to meet when a knife-wielding crab was destroyed. All because a girl who hated the water took a boat ride in old Mexico. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of mystery, comes his most famous character and crime's most deadly enemy as we present The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now, with Gerald Moore, starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's story, Mexican Boat Ride. It's a rare morning, clear and clean. You know the kind that knocks ten years off your age and makes you taste the sunshine and your orange juice? It was a day to be spent on an open road to someplace new and exciting. But a phone call I'd received had reduced my open road to Carmelita Avenue and nothing more exciting than Beverly Hills. The house I stopped at was one of those you entered through a tunnel of dank, overhanging foliage on a flagstone path grown green with damp moss. A low, thick-walled affair with tiny, barred windows hidden from the sidewalk. I pressed the bell, and a moment later, a sallow housekeeper opened the door with what seemed to be a last ounce of strength. She squinted at my card and beckoned me inside. I followed her down a dusky corridor to a heavy, closed door, where she signaled me to wait. The air in the house smelled thick and stale. When she came out again, she held the door open for me and motioned me into a room full of darkness. It became nearly complete when the door clicked shut behind me. All I could see was the vague form of a man in smoked glasses propped up on a bed across the room. There's a chair beside you, Marlowe, if you care to sit. Oh, thanks. I'm Carl Estabrook, importer. You may have heard of me. No, I don't think so. Well, no matter. <laughs> Marlowe, I have a peculiar problem. I want to know why my wife, Ona, was on a boat day before yesterday off the coast of Mexico. Think you could find out? Well, if that's all you got to go on, I doubt it. No, there's a little more. Huh? Ona and I planned to take vacation together. But when I was confined with this illness, we decided she should go on alone. Oh, then your illness is the reason for the midsummer blackout, huh? Yes. If I expose my eyes to light at any time in the next few weeks, the doctors promised me plenty of pain and virtual blindness. Oh. It's temporary, but tedious to mend. That's why I need a capable man with sharp eyes. To look into what, specifically? The paradox of my wife aboard a boat. Mm -hmm. She has a phobia about them. The mere thought of being on a boat makes her panicky. She drove to Ensenada, Mexico, earlier this week, but believe me, her plans did not include boat rides. Well, tell me, how'd you find out she was on one? Did she write? No, she hasn't written me at all, but that's not unusual for her. Mm -hmm. 
friend of mine got back yesterday from a fishing trip down there. The day before, his boat passed another with a girl aboard. He got a good look at her and was so sure that it was Ona that he hailed her. The girl turned and ran inside. <laughs> it, it bothered him to the extent that when he got home here, he called me to find out if Ona was in Ensenada. Is that all? And that's all. He didn't get the name of the boat. Look, you want me to go all the way down there just to find out if the girl he saw was Mrs. Estabrook? Right. Uh, what is your fee, Marlowe? Fifty bucks a day, plus expenses. That's the minimum, if I take the job. I don't think I will. When business gets so bad, I have to do divorce work, I'll quit and write my memoirs. No, I'm sorry, but that's the way it is. No, no, uh, sit down, Marlowe. Ona and I have had our share of difficulties, true. And she's quite a few years younger than I and used to be a dancer. But... Generally speaking, we're happy. Specifically what? I'm worried about her. Here, there's money in this envelope and a recent photograph of my wife. And there's more of both if the need arises. Uh, incidentally, what kind of a day is it outside? Gorgeous. Well, then you can drive. It's only 250 miles. Yeah. By the way, how has the importing business been lately, uh, legitimately speaking? You do have a suspicious mind, don't you? Only when the situation calls for it, and this does. However, I can understand an imagination working overtime here in the dark, Mr. Estabrook. So I'll take your money and go on down to Ensenada and see if anything's wrong. But look, I'm giving you notice beforehand. If it turns out to be family laundry and nothing more, I drop it. You're a reputable man. Just see that I get my money's worth, Marlowe, and you can keep the change. I'll expect to hear from you. <laughs> my eyes adjusted to the dazzling glare outside. I looked in the envelope and picture of an impish, dark-haired woman and five $100 bills. For the first time, I realized what Estabrook had meant by keep the change. But it didn't help my attitude even a little. By two o'clock, I was on the road south. A late lunch in La Jolla with an old friend, a routine baggage inspection at the border. And then 70 twisting miles of lonely road brought me to Ensenada, just as the Mexican sun dropped into the sea. I drove past the piers and canneries at the edge of town, and then along the curving shore to the only hotel elegant enough to meet the demands of the woman I figured Ona Estabrook to be. After I'd gotten a room and cleaned up, I went to the desk and asked for her. She was registered, had number 74, and at the moment was out on the patio, <laughs> all of which sounded ridiculously normal. And I thought again of an imagination at work in a dark room back in L.A. I thanked the clerk in crippled Spanish and turned in time to catch the end of a long, cold stare from a pair of frog-like eyes that bulged out of an otherwise handsome head on a man in a gray gabardine suit. I didn't think my language had been that bad. But when Popeye followed me out onto the patio, I wasn't too sure. There was no mistaking Ona Estabrook. She sat alone at a table in the far corner, a tall, minted gin drink in front of her. So I put on my best tourist-type smile and walked over. Well, Ona Estabrook, this is a pleasure. Enjoying your visit? What? Oh, yes, very much, but I, I don't think I... Know me? Oh, of course, you wouldn't remember. My name's Marlowe, Philip Marlowe. No, no, I'm sorry, Mr. Marlowe, but you I... You were a really... dancer, weren't you? Before your marriage, I mean? Oh, yes, I was a dancer, but you, you'll have to excuse me now. I, I, I'm expecting a friend. I hope oh, you don't mind. Oh, well, just one thing then, Mrs. Estabrook. Would you mind telling me why you were out on a boat day before yesterday? A boat? Mm-hmm. Why do you ask that? Because you hate boats. You have a phobia about them. And yet you were seen aboard one just two days ago. 
How come? Well, I... Oh, how clumsy of me. I've spilled the drink all over my skirt. Excuse me. I'll have to change. That maneuver was as subtle as a bulldozer at work. When she spilled her drink, it was done desperately, and fear sent her running for the exit. I turned to follow her as she left the lighted patio and headed down a dark arcade. But a gray gabardine suit and a pair of Popeyes slid out of a chair and beat me to it. I waited until their footsteps faded, which said they turned a corner. Then I started after them. It was strictly follow the leader, but I didn't realize how many were playing the game until a knife point stung at the skin at the soft part of the back about kidney high. Stop, senor, and don't cry out. Don't even say ouch. I turned and saw a mottled red face ugly on a squat long arm body. The ivory-handled knife in his hand could have clipped my spine in one easy thrust. You got a car here, senor? Come on, I speak English good. You got a car? Yeah, I got a car. What's it to you? I am Hayaba, the crab. It's lots to me. What's Let's your pitch, go. Buster? Come on, tell me. <laughs> Martinez says for me to keep a sharp eye on things, to be sure something is not wrong. It looks to me like something is wrong with you, senor. Who's Martinez? <laughs> you going to play possum, senor? <laughs> uh, this one is your car, huh? All right. Huh? Yeah. Okay. I take first your uh, one. Uh, now, please to get in. You going to drive? Believe it or not, you're making a big mistake, Krabby. Besides, what if I don't want to drive? Oh, you better want to drive, gringo. <laughs> or I kill you right here. Go on, drive. Handle Stop here. And now we get out. Uh, it's nice and quiet here on the beach, no? Uh, walk over there to that old adobe wall. We're gonna have a talk there. It's gonna be dull, Buster. We've got nothing in common. Please, senor, don't make it hard on me. I don't know why you gotta come and mix everything up again when time is running out. Why did you come? I needed new haraches. Mm, look, senor, you think I'm ugly? You know beauty, Crab, let's face it. See, and I can act even uglier. Maybe I could go on the radio and make a big hit, no? <laughs> or maybe I make the big hit on your face. Oh! Don't try something, senor. Or I kill you with your own gun. Now, the truth. You spoke to the senor about the boat. Why? I forget. Oh! Who are you, senor? Private detective named Marlowe. Oh, a private detective? Who are you working for, Dolph Bentley? I never heard of Dolph Bentley. Who's he? You're lying. The senora knows him. I heard her say Dolph Bentley won't make it tonight. Yeah, he's lucky. See, I tell you something else. He better not make it. Martinez is going to do business with one man only tonight. Now you want to say something? No? Then I'll say it. You take what's going to be left of your face, oh. Senor Bentley, until you get out of Ensenada oh. and don't come back. Oh. Understand? Ah. Oh! Wait a minute. Come on, wake up, wake wait, up. Wait, wait, stop the crap. Come on. Who are you? Wake oh, it's you. I'll wait, kill you. Wait, 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 w
This guy was no slouch with a gun butt, either. Hey, hmm? where'd you come from, anyway? Oh, down the beach a ways. I just finished oh. working on my boat, and I was taking a walk, oh. and I heard the commotion came over to see about it. This guy was beating you up, so I yelled and started for him, but he ran. Oh, is that right? Mm-hmm. I'm glad somebody stopped him. Thanks very much, Mr. De... Roman. Oh. Uh, Lou Roman's my name. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm pleased to meet you, Mono. Thanks. You know me? Uh, well, yes, I, I took the liberty of looking in your wallet to see the, that devil had robbed you. Oh. It doesn't seem so, though. Yeah, I guess I got here just in time. You're a private investigator, I see. Hey, you working on a case now? It's debatable. So far, the case is working on me. Oh. I'd like to find a guy named Dolph Bentley, though. Dolph Bentley? Yeah, yeah. Guy who beat me up had the idea that I was... Ooh. I was hired by Dolph Bentley. Did you ever hear of him? No. No, and I come down here every year to fish, too. Uh-huh. Know a lot of folks around here, but I never heard of that one before. Uh, why are you after him? Well, he's he's tied up in some way to the crab who seems to work with another guy named Martinez who, in turn, is going to do some business of some kind tonight with somebody other than Dolph Bentley. I don't know. And it's it's all connected for some screwy reason with a, with a woman who took a boat ride the day before yesterday. Well, uh, what about that? Uh, the woman being on a boat, I mean. Oh, well, she can't stand boats. She's afraid... Of... Oh, my head. Oh, uh, wait, wait. Here. Thanks. I better get you some first aid right yeah, away. That's a good idea. Holy smoke, my car. Yeah, now relax. Huh? Relax. It's right over there. Uh, come on. Let me help you up. All right. Easy oh. now. Easy. Oh. That's it. Now, I'll drive you. Uh, uh, where are you staying? Uh, at the hotel, huh? Yeah, yeah. Oh, Thanks, okay. Roman. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm still dizzy. Yeah, uh, easy. I got you. I, I got to get back there. I got to find that girl because she's up to her head doing a very nasty mess. Uh, listen, Marlo. Huh? If I can help in any way, let me know, will you? You know, us Americans have to stick together in a place like this, right? Yeah, that's it. Come on, let's go. Oh. Lou Roman, the hail fellow, was indeed well met. He found my gun and drove me back to the hotel. A long hour had gone by since Owen Estabrook had run from the patio, followed by the pop-eyed character in the gabardine suit. I tried a room, checked with the desk again, and from there spent 30 minutes peering into corners and balconies and getting nothing but indignant glares from Mexican lovers. So I left the building and started through the grounds. I worked my way from the stables up into a secluded garden, deserted by all but a marble statue of Montezuma, who, when I passed him, groaned. In the dark at my feet lay Haiba the crab, his mottled face twisted into a tortured grin of agony. And sticking straight up just above his belt buckle was the white ivory handle of his own knife. Crab! Crab, who was it? Who got you? Oh, senor, I, I am sorry what I did. Never mind that. Who did this? Do you know? Oh, see, see. It, Dolph Bentley. Now get a doctor. No, no, you, senor. I, I tell Martinez that Dolph Bentley is... Crab. Yeah. <laughs> In just a moment, the second act of Philip Marlowe. But first, when you're 65, if you have worked in business or industry, call any office of the Social Security Administration for information about your old age and survivor's insurance. The account number that appears on the Social Security card identifies your wage account. The amount of retirement and family insurance that may be payable is set by this account. Now with our star, Gerald Moore. We return to the second act of Philip Marlowe and tonight's story, The Mexican Boat Ride.
even as the life trickled out of the ugly little man called Aiba, and his face which had been knotted tight in pain went slowly limp and he was still. I knew that I'd have to get next to Dolph Bentley before the importance of Ona Estabrook aboard a fishing boat off Ensenada would make any sense. Also, I knew that there was a good chance that said Mr. Bentley and the gentleman in Greg Aberdeen, known to me as Popeyes, were one and the same. So I started back for the hotel. But halfway there, I stopped at the sight of a figure ahead scampering toward an all-alone taxi parked near the main entrance. It was Ona Estabrook. I took off after her when she was in the cab and away before I could get close enough to do any good. I tried the next best thing, which was the sombrero doorman nearby, who I figured might have heard the address she'd given the driver. Yeah, but what I didn't figure was that the doorman might not habla much English. The Signore Esterbrook. Uh, si, Senor. Her enters libre a minute ago. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I know that. Now, look. Where did her go? Which way in the libre? Libre. Uh-huh. Oh, un momento, Senor. Libre, libre. Oh, no, no. Viene, Senor. No, Coming look. Pronto. Amigo, I, I don't want a taxi. I no libre. No libre. None whatsoever. Ah. Chico, no now please, hey, come here. Let's let's back it up a little, huh? Senora Estabrook in libre, right? Si, senor. Okay. Now, where did she go? What direction? Uh, que direction? Oh, I already comprend. Uh-huh. The senora. Yeah, the senora. Que direction? Comprendo? Uh, si, senor. Senora Estabrook, go to the pier, the the fishing pier. Which one? Which fishing pier? Uh, oh, Kual Pier. Uh, the small pier, senor. Uh. The little one near the big cannery, the fishes cannery. That's senor. all I want to know. Gracias, amigo, and... Uh-oh. Senor? Senor, what are you seeing? I'm not sure. But even if I were, I wouldn't be able to explain it to you. Buenas noches, pal. Thanks a lot. <laughs> I had been seeing at the silhouette of a man huddled close to the ground and slinking out from a hotel along a high hedge that led back toward the statue in the body of Aiba, a man who I knew could be the elusive Popeyes. I followed the walk that was close into the hotel until I was on a line with the hedge, and I started after him fast. I still had a good two yards to go when he heard me and pivoted, so I swung first! Oh! Why, you dirty... Roman, wait a minute, hold it. Gee, it's me, Marlo, I'm sorry. Holy smoke, I... I thought you were someone else. Oh, can't you were maybe? Oh, brother. Oh, I'm sorry. What'd you hit me with? I have everything I had. Mm. I figured you were Dolph Bentley, and as such, Roman, I didn't want you to get away with murder, literally. Murder? Hey, not that girl you mentioned, Marlowe. Oh, Estabrook? Huh? No, no, no. The corpse is that item you sigged away from me over in those ruins. Somebody got to him with his own knife there near the statue. Uh-huh, then I was right. I did see someone move over what? near there. Well, yeah, a couple of minutes ago, Marlowe. I was on the balcony outside of my room at Face of the Garden here, you see. And when I saw you run for the main entrance, I had a feeling that you might be in trouble again, so I came on down here. Well, then what happened? Well, I was about to call out to you when I heard some noise over there near the statue. It was a man. He was running away fast, heading toward those stables. A man wearing gabardine, maybe tan, maybe gray. I... Maybe Dolph Bentley. Thanks, Roman. You've been a big help. When you get back to the hotel, tell him about the dead man, will you? I gotta run. stable was a robust left field as pegged to home plate from where we'd been standing. So by the time I got there, I was out of breath and facing nothing more important than thick darkness, a lot of hay, and a couple of horses who couldn't sleep nights talking things over. Until I moved around a corner past the stalls and close to the half-open door of a shack, marked both cabina telefono and the equivalent in English that showed a single unshaded light. And under that, a man standing alone next to a telephone, writing something on the back of an envelope. He was wearing a gray gabardine hey, suit, and when he lifted his Popeyes from the paper in front of him, mm. I knew the next move had to be mine, 38 and all. Let it go, Buster. Yeah. Keep your hands close to your sides. 
just as you say, senor. I'd be a fool not to obey you. You're so right, a dead fool. So keep that in mind while we chat, won't you, Mr. Bentley? Bentley? Uh-huh. How did you find out who I am? It was easy. All I had to do was listen to a dying man's last two words when I asked him to name his murderer. He said, Dolph Bentley. Any comment? Yes. You know a lot, senor. Don't resent it, friend. I learned it all the hard way. Don't move, Bentley. I was only changing my position, senor. Which will be prone if you try it again. Now, what do you know about this whole mess and an American girl named Ona Estabrook who I figure is no mobster? Nothing, senor. You're a liar, Bentley. Which brings me to the point. One, why the pressure on the girl, and two, what's so important about her taking a ride on a fishing boat? Come on, brother. It's getting late for a murderer. Start talking straight the first time out. All right. I'll start with a question. Senor, how does all this concern you? You gain a percentage if the smugglers are not interfered with, perhaps? We were talking about the girl, remember? Yes, I remember. But you see, senor, I have little to offer on that score. How little? A single observation. In your country, senor, people who do not mind their own business are called nosy. Here in Mexico, we have another term. Asno. Which means what? Jackass, senor. Who, unlike the cat, cannot see in the dark. Hey! But can try his best, Bentley. No gun, senor. Okay, amigo, no gun, but this. Asno. Uh -huh. When Bentley met the floor and went out cold, I sagged to one knee. Stayed that way until the air rushing into my lungs quit sounding like sandpaper over a drumhead. Then I got back to my feet and turned on a bracket lamp on the other side of the room. I opened Bentley's jacket, slipped his 32 automatic out of its shoulder holster, emptied the clip, and stopped dead at the shimmer of light dancing on polished silver that I hadn't expected. It was a badge. Below his shoulder holster and pinned to his vest, Republic of Mexico, Department of Customs, Captain! I made a dive for the envelope near the telephone. On the back there was writing in thick pencil, which I finally figured to mean fishing pier near cannery, 2 a.m. Inside, nothing. On the front, further proof that I'd never met Mr. Dolph Bentley at all, but instead it tangled hard-like with one Captain Juan Descartos intelligence section custom building, Mexico City, Mexico. While trying to revive Captain Descartos, the truth rammed into my mind. Owner Estabrook had rushed off for the pier near the cannery that Captain Descartos had noted as a good place to be at 2 o'clock in the morning, which was less than 20 minutes away, and a great time for me to get to my car and the pier. You're a bright boy, thanks. Do you like the job on the car, senor? I think it shines well for the eight pesos you owe me. Uh, nobody asked you to bother, Junior, but I'll see you later. Right now I gotta run, huh? For eight pesos, one dollar you can write, senor. I'll replace the distributor cap. What? Come here, you. But, but senor, it was very dirty all over inside, too. The steering wheel, black as can be. Look, I ruined my best rag cleaning That's it. tough. Now give me that distributor cap or you'll be the saddest pair of dark eyes between here and the Panama Canal. Senor! Oh, never mind. Here. You pay me the dollar? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just put the cap back where it belongs. Quick, will you? I'm in a hurry. Well, come on. Let's go, let's go, let's go! The precious 60 seconds ticked off before I was out of the parking lot and driving fast toward the fishing pier near the cannery where I knew I was finally going to get next to Dolph Bentley and if I made it in time, prevent another murder. 
when I screeched to a stop away from the pier, piled out of my car and ran the length of the oil-soaked planking to where a single boat was making ready to cast off. I saw one of the two persons aboard the small catch was owner Estabrook. The other was Lou Roman, hearty American fisherman. When I stepped aboard, our hunch hit me right between the eyes. I pulled my gun and pointed it an inch above his waist. What are you doing here, Marlo? I might ask you the same question, Roman, or do I call you Bentley from here on out? Marlo, you know, now he can't kill me. Now I don't have to be afraid of him anymore. Oh, Marlo, thank goodness you got here in time. Yeah, hooray. The Marines have landed in the form of a private... Cut it out, Bentley, and don't move. Oh, no, what do you mean about being afraid? What's your connection with this fisherman here? Well, it was an accident, Marlo. A mix-up in our baggage... Lou Roman and I both happened to stop for customs inspection at the border at the same time, and our suitcases were switched. I didn't notice it at the time, but when I got to the hotel, I discovered the mistake and went to Roman's room to correct it. But instead, you found Bentley here posing as Roman, right? Yes. He killed him, Milo. He told me he did. That's a dirty lie. Roman's all right. He's in Chicago. No, he's not. He's dead. You killed him. Someplace between here and Tijuana, Milo. He said I'd get the same treatment if I opened my mouth. Then he's the one who forced you to go out on that boat yesterday. Stay back, Bentley. That people wouldn't be suspicious. He made me appear at the hotel, in the patio there, at the restaurant. Well, why didn't you run? Well, I couldn't. He wasn't around. Another man was. A horrible man with large eyes that never left me. Yeah. So why don't you drop it, Marlo? No sale, Bentley. You see, I know that the horrible man with the large eyes can't be one of your henchmen. His badge says so. What? Badge? He's an officer, Marlo? Yeah, Captain Owner. Give up, Bentley? You had better. There are too many men ready to take you. Descados. <laughs> Where'd you come from? Oh, I have been here quite a while. But your story was so interesting, I just couldn't interrupt. And when Marlo took you for Dolph Bentley, Captain Descartes, you played along because you didn't know who he was, is that it? Yes, senora, and I did not find out until I heard Bentley call Marlo a private eye. <laughs> You're not mad at me, Captain, huh? Even though I bungled your plan to capture Martinez, and uh, not to mention our little meeting at the stables. <laughs> uh, senor, do not say that you bungled the job of catching Martinez. It was more a matter of uh, priority. Uh, por favor, senor, the tacos. Of course, here you are. Gracias. You see, senor Marlowe, I am certain that one day I will catch Martinez, but not at the cost of letting a murderer kill again. Hmm. But, senor Marlowe, there is one thing that puzzles me. The murder of the one known as Haiba. Oh, Martinez henchman. Well, you see, Captain, he knew that a man named Dolph Bentley was mixed up in this because he'd overheard Ona and her keeper, then called Lou Roman, talking about him. He wanted to know more. Also, he couldn't figure who I was. So he beat you up? Correct. Bentley, of course, only saved my life because it was an easy way to find out just how much Haiba did know, after which he got to him. Enough? Not quite, senor. There is still one thing. How did you know that Lou Roman was actually Bentley? On a hunch, Captain. And by positive identification from you, Ono, when we were on the boat. But uh, now it's my turn. I got a question for you, honey. Have you had enough vacation? Uh-huh. Matter of fact, Marlowe, I wired my husband just before we came in to eat. Oh. I, I said the change did in your world of good. Be home tomorrow to stay. Love always. Well, Captain, will you pass the tacos, please? They're, they're awfully good, really. <laughs> It was late the next afternoon, and owner Estabrook was already gone when I checked out of the hotel, said goodbye to Captain Dos Cartos, and headed north for the border, where two hours later I stopped for customs inspection of my baggage. 
It was dark, and I was only 50 miles from Los Angeles before I realized exactly what that inspection had meant. Because it was then, for the first time, that I noticed the little cowhide suitcase on the seat next to me, which should have been mine, was tagged differently. The name and address of a man who lived in Long Beach, California. <laughs> when I got there, I kept driving. I knew I could ship it to him and ask for mine in exchange when I got home. Oh, yes. I'd had just about enough for a while. Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road, and those who travel it wind up in the gutter, the prison, or the grave. It started with an Indian gift of a piece of pottery and led to a brown bear and moccasins. An archaeologist, much laughing water, and finally, death in an alley. But just to make matters worse, the Indian giver was a female and 100% genuine hot-blooded Apache. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of mystery, comes his most famous character and crime's most deadly enemy as we present... The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now, with Gerald Moore, starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story, The Indian Giver. By day, the industrial heart of any city is just so much steel and stone and streets, jammed full with the raucous sounds of a thousand and one different machines. But by night, all of that is gone, and there are only endless, smooth-sided, lonely canyons that overflow with a steady, humming silence that everywhere hangs like a distant echo of the day that's passed. And Los Angeles was no exception at nine o'clock at night, as I pulled up and parked in front of a graced curtain storefront on a deserted downtown street. It marked the showroom of the wholesale curio dealer who had telephoned my office an hour earlier. And in a Dutch accent laced tight with worry, it urged me to call on him at once. A raised gold lettering on a side door that showed a strip of yellow light at the threshold said Alex Van Nord, private, in an ornate 18th-century script. So when I knocked, I was ready for something continental with thick bifocal glasses. When the door swung open, my jaw dropped to my chest. And I couldn't help gaping because the huge V of a man in front of me in cheap, snug clothes, white dark hair, dark skin, and darker eyes. Had to be no less than a full-blooded American Indian. Moccasins and all. What you want? Uh, Mr. Van Ord, is he in? Name your business. Well, it's personal. What's yours? Hate. For those who would destroy our culture... Oh! Mr. Marlowe, oh. Mr. Marlowe, let me help you up, sir. Yeah. Oh. I'm Van Nord. Uh. Are you all right? Oh, sure, sure, I'm fine. Hey, that engine, he certainly can hit hard, oh, huh? Oh, yes, I know. He also struck me down. Oh? Ach, I tell you, Mr. Marlowe, it's terrible. Yeah, it's also a little confusing, Mr. Van Nord. Hey, exactly why did you call me in the first place? Oh, well, it began this morning when I received the shipment of Indian curios from my buyer in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Oh. Well, everything in the crate was in order, except one extra piece of pottery. 
a bowl. Bowl? Indian bowl? Yes, yes. Oh. It appeared no place on the invoice. Oh, I didn't pay much attention to it till I noticed that the two-inch wide band of inscriptions near the top were not like any others I'd ever seen. Inscriptions, huh? Yeah. Oh, you mean those Indian signs, broken arrow, deer, wigwam kind of stuff? Yeah, yeah. So, so my curiosity was aroused, and I called my representative in Santa Fe. Uh-huh. However, he knew nothing of the bowl either, so finally, well, I put it in my display window there and forgot about it until about noon when a frail, sandy-haired man stepped in. You know his name? No, no. Uh-huh. Only that he said he was an archaeologist mm. and that he wanted to buy the bowl. He refused to sell it, huh? Why? For two reasons, Mr. Marlowe. One, I could see that he was fighting hard to control his enthusiasm. And two, I had no idea what to charge for the bowl. Mm-hmm. I told him to come back tomorrow again, and then I removed the bowl from the window. It wasn't until five o'clock that the second visitor appeared. Another archaeologist? No, no. A beautiful girl named Mona Waters. Oh, she was very sophisticated, wore an expensively tailored white, uh, smart suit, no jewelry she wore whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Uh, she described the bowl I had placed in my storeroom perfectly and then asked if I had seen such a piece of pottery or if I had one for sale. I said no. Same reason? More or less. Mm-hmm. Anything else, Mr. Van Orn? Well, there isn't much more. The young lady gave me her address, the Walker Hotel on Wilshire Boulevard, uh, room 515. Walker Hotel. Uh, asked me to call her if I came across a bowl like the one she described. Then she left. Naturally, my interest at this time was near the bursting point. Naturally. What'd you do about it? Uh, the only sensible thing I knew of. At six o'clock, I closed my place and I went to the public library to borrow a book on hieroglyphics of the Indians of the Southwest. When I got back, I found the rear door forced and poof, the bowl was gone. And you called me? Huh? Yes. Then this Indian shows up. He claims I would rob his people of everything, and then he hit me. Makes perfect sense to him, though, though. Yes. No. Will you try to recover the bowl for me, please? Well, if you can answer one question without stumbling, yes. Huh? Why no police, Mr. Van Nord? Uh, because objects of art, Mr. Marlowe, aside from their intrinsic worth, and, and the clay bowl has none, are only valuable for resale. Create a public disturbance, such as the police... And the thief will destroy the object and another day steal again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, please. Please, you try, Mr. Marlowe. Yeah, I'll try, all right, Mr. Van Norden. When it comes to our two-fisted brave who's so crazy about the preservation of Indian culture, I'll try real hard. Good night, sir. Van Norden's enthusiasm and the hundred bucks he pressed into my hand before I left were encouraging. And I drove straight to the Walker Hotel on Wilshire Boulevard, where a moment after I entered the plush lobby, encouragement came once more. Because gliding from a travel agency booth toward a cocktail lounge was what my client had described as beautiful girl, expensively tailored, smart white suit, no jewelry whatsoever. But when we were both inside and at adjoining stools at the bar, where the soft lights accented her high cheekbones and jet black hair, I knew that Mr. Van Nord had skipped something important. Because in spite of a full mouth, neatly rouged, eyebrows, pencil, come hither, and a coiffure shingled vintage 1949, Mono Waters could also be full-blooded American Indian, which is what I was working on when she turned, blew a smoke signal in my face, and spoke with an accent that was about as Apache as Vassar. Don't let me make you lose your place, but uh, do you mind telling me why you're staring? I collect the reasons for a hobby. You know, like some people save stamps. Uh-huh. And others pottery. Pot... Who are you? 
A ceramics fiend named Smith. Now, Mona, let's talk about you, huh? Why? Because I've already been offered $10,000 for the bowl. Good enough? You have the bowl where? Well, not in my pocket, honey. It's too bulky. I've got it tucked safely away outside in my car. Oh? Yeah, you know, you didn't hide it very well after you stole it from Van Nord. You've been in my room. Could be. Now, do we talk business, yes or no? Yes. What do you want to know? Well, for one thing, what's the bowl to you? Everything. It's mine. All mine, via primogeniture. Which is Apache for what? Listen, Mr. Smith. I'm an Indian, all right, and an Apache at that. But I was born in a duplex, not a teepee. I drink martinis, not fire water, and I've got a Mills College diploma and an IQ that'll probably make yours look sick, so let's clear the air in a hurry. Yeah, well, that's clear enough. Yeah. Now, smart boy, my late uncle George Waters, also known as Chief Laughing Waters, giggle if you want to, own the bowl you want $10,000 for. So? So a long time ago, he willed it to my father. However, my father died a year ago, leaving only me as heir apparent. Since that bowl is mine, all mine, via primogeniture, which brings us right back to where we were. Except you haven't mentioned why the bowl means so much to you. And I won't. No, will you pay the 10000 bucks, huh? I didn't say that. And I won't say anything more until I see that bowl. Now, I've got to make a couple of calls. Should take about 20 minutes. After that, I'll be in my room. Please call before you come up. And if you don't have the bowl, don't, don't come, come up. up. Okay, baby, fair enough. So long. It had been the kind of conversation piece wherein each party's quite sure that the other's a liar, but not quite sure why. So a moment after I was on the sidewalk and out of Mona's sight, I darted for the side of the hotel in the rear entrance where I made my way to a self-service freight elevator that got me to the fifth floor, just as the Apache with gloss closed the door to a room at the far end of the carpeted hallway. I was about halfway there when it came. The door to 515 wasn't locked, and when I threw it open, I found about what I'd expected. Mona slumped in a corner of the room, pride heard only, and opposite her a wide-open window, which I figured led to a fire escape, until I was standing next to it and saw that there was nothing but sheer wall that plunged five stories to the sidewalk below. And on a line with the hotel's fourth floor, a rooftop that at best was a good 15 feet away. When I closed the window and turned back to the room, Mona was already on her feet. That sly jerk. He waited till I had the door closed behind me, and then he swung. Oh, brother, when we meet again. Oh, Mona, who? Did he get the bowl? Get, get the bowl? I thought you had that, Smith. I was kidding, and you know it. Now, once more, who was it? His name, Mona. Jimmy Brown Bear. Jimmy which? Brown Bear. Smitty, a lot of Indians have Indian names. It's a custom. Try not to fall apart every time you hear one. I will if you'll stop being persecuted. I think Indians are all good Americans. Now tell me about the big brown bear. Okay. All right. <laughs> He's absolutely sold the bowl's a priceless tribal heirloom the white man's trying to steal. He's playing nuts. Who else would try a jump like that from a fifth-story window? Yeah, quite a hop. If he actually made it. What do you mean, if? Nobody fell. No, maybe nobody jumped either. Maybe you make up heap big story, baby. Hide bowl here in closet, then fall on floor. Tell Wild Taylor, Screwball Apache. That'd be smart. Yeah, heap. But also smart if you take long nose out of engine girl's affairs before it get blown off. Stand still, buster. Yo, oh, tomahawk, caliber 38. How unfriendly. But effective. Now, Smith, what's your real name? Sammy Blue Ox. My father Listen, calls me... Listen, Junior, let me clear up a very important point. 
That Indian bowl, in some strange way, is the answer to the location of enough lost Spanish gold to keep you, me, and everyone we ever met off the bread line from here on out. Okay, I'm intrigued, but the points we're going to clear up. Just this. I've got a dandy idea where I can find both the bowl and Jimmy Brown Bear right now. That's something I want to do all by my lonesome. Now, back into that closet and keep quiet. Well, you head where? On the warpath, via bus. I'm a hot-blooded Apache, remember? So long, baby. There are times when things look black enough without staying put in a dark closet. So I kicked the lock, spun the casing, and walked out in room 515 just in time to hear a timid knock on a hall door. When it opened up, one frail, sandy-haired man wanted information. Oh, I, I beg your pardon, sir. Hmm? Can you possibly tell me where I can find Miss Mona Waters? Who are it, you? It, my name is Clark Erskine. I, I'm an archaeologist. Yeah, I'm sorry, friend. I can't say any more than Miss Waters is out after a wild-eyed Apache who's got a piece of pottery tucked underneath his arm. What? Oh, not the bowl. It's supposed to be in Van Nord's place. Not Jimmy Brown Bear. Yeah, right on both counts, Mr. Erskine, but... What makes the name Brown Bear ring a bell? You two met before? Well, we certainly have. Mm. Why, that idiot has hampered every archaeologist who has so much as set foot in New Mexico. Well, now that you've mentioned it, Mr. Erskine, why your keen interest in the bowl? What does it mean to you? What does it mean to me? Yeah. Well, my good man, those inscriptions circled around it are going to prove invaluable. Possibly another uh, Rosetta Stone. An open sesame to the countless undecipherable writings we've already collected. About Spanish gold, maybe, huh? Spanish, mm. Spanish gold? Oh, well, sir, what are you talking about? Nothing. Look, Erskine, one question. How did you know that Mona Waters was staying here at this hotel? Well, it wasn't simple Not to bad. learn. Uh, when Mr. Van Nord refused to sell the bowl to me until tomorrow, mm. I wanted to be certain that he also didn't sell it to anyone else. So I watched his showroom. Oh, that's smart. <laughs> Though when I saw Miss Waters there, I recognized her at once as an Apache. And I followed her here, where I found out her name and room number. Now, I'm going to wait for her until she returns. I'm not going to give up. That bowl means now, too wait much. Wait a minute. Wait Why a minute. You... Hold it, Erskine. You happen to know Jimmy Brown Bear's hometown? Come on, quick. Well, yes, I do. It. It's Sacona, New Mexico. Sacona, New Mexico? Yes. By bus. Thank you, friend. I'm sorry to have to leave you to do your waiting alone, but i got to catch a bus. But where, Mr. Marlowe? At the downtown Central Bus Depot to put cart before horse, to turn tables, a switch. In short, Mr. Erskine to track an Indian. So long. In just a moment, the second act of Philip Marlowe. But first... You meet many an old friend from the wide field of music every Sunday afternoon when the Coraliers and the Symphonette are heard on most of these same CBS stations. This Sunday, the fine voices of the Coraliers will recall such old favorites as I've Been Working on the Railroad, The Best Things in Life Are Free, and Janine, I Dream of Lilac Time. The Symphonette will bring you the overture from the Bohemian Girl, a Strauss composition, and a stirring march, among others. Be sure to hear the Symphonette and the Coraliers to find your old friends and favorites every Sunday. Now with our star, Gerald Moore, we return to the second act of Philip Marlowe and tonight's story, The Indian Giver. Tracking an Indian over the busy concrete of downtown Los Angeles sounds a lot tougher than it turned out to be. Apparently, a six-feet-four Apache in a full-crown black hat and moccasins was an oddity even in a city of oddities. And everyone who'd seen him remembered him, from the guy behind the bus depot's ticket desk to the newsboy outside the flop house nearby. 
where Jimmy Brown Bear had made camp. The next bus was still 45 minutes away, so I decided to visit the flop house. But Jimmy Brown Bear must have seen me coming and was expecting trouble, because when I stepped into the hall, I saw him duck out the back door to the alley. I ran after him and watched him turn down what would have been a dead end to a normal man, but Jimmy made a jump at a nine-foot wall, caught the top, and was pulling himself up when it happened. Jimmy stiffened on the wall. When the second shot came, he dropped rigidly like a poison fly and lay very still. I started over to him, but stopped at the excited voice of a cabbie running toward me from the open end of the alley. Hey, hey, mister. Hey, hey, what happened? I heard a couple of shots, Jimmy, and I... Uh Uh-oh. Yeah, that's what you heard. Holy mackerel. Hey, wait, wait. That's the Indian. You mean you know him, too? Yeah, I hauled him around in my cab tonight. Who did it, mister? You? Oh, don't be silly, will you? The shots could have come from any place. Any one of those windows, his own fire escape. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Well, between those buildings there that... Hey, that dame running for the street, will you get out of my way? Not so fast, buddy. You know her? Yes, I know. I'm on waters. Brother, will you get the cops over here right away, will you? I gotta catch that girl. No chance, mister. She's long gone. Oh, no. Oh, no. you. Van Nord. Oh, I certainly didn't expect to find you here. What in the world is going on here? Among other things, murder. Yeah, it's that Indian, Mr. Van Nord, the same one. What? Good heavens. Mr. Marlowe, did, did this happen because of the bow? No doubt. Mona Waters just got away between those two buildings. Oh. I'm pretty sure she's the one who took the bowl out of your place tonight because Jimmy Brown Bear got it away from her later. Now she's got it back again and he winds up like that. Then you think the girl killed him to recover the bowl? Right now I'm too balled up to think anything. Just a minute, how do you manage to show up here? Uh, why, I I started home in this man's taxi and found out that he was the one who brought Mr. Brown Bear to my shop tonight. Yeah, that's right. I picked the Indian up right out here on the corner. Uh, so we came down here because I thought if we found where the Indian was staying, it might be a help to you, Marlowe. You were waiting in the cab when he was shot? No. No, I started into this place alone, and then I thought better of it and came out to get you, Cabby, to come in with me. Then I heard the shot. Mm-hmm. Now, look, Mr. Van Nord, you better keep your nose out of this mess. Huh? Go on home and sit on your curios. I'll call you when I got something. Assuming that my client's story was true and that he did have the cabbie to back him up, I got in my car and headed back to the Walker house. I parked at the side of the hotel and started for that convenient rear door again when I saw the commotion of half a dozen excited passers-by bending over a man stretched out on the sidewalk. Hey. It's enough to make a fatalist out of you, ain't it? Absolutely. What happened? Why, that poor guy there is walking along minding his own business and practically gets his back broke by a hunk of pottery some jerk must have heaved out of one of them windows up there. Pottery? You mean a bowl, maybe? A bowl? I, I, I don't know. It broke all the smithereens. It was plenty heavy, though. It was about... Hey, hey, look, look. Here's a chunk of it. Let me see that. Oh, sure. Brown clay with symbols carved on it. Indian symbols. Listen, uh, buddy, what window did that come out of? Anybody see? Anybody? No, no. They're all dark up there. We can't figure it out. We just... Hey, what's the matter? Where are you going? There was no doubt about it. A broken piece of pottery I'd clenched in my hand must have come from the Indian bowl. I ran inside, rode the elevator up to the fifth floor again, and beat it down the hall to 515. Sprawled out on the floor inside was Clark Erskine, the archaeologist making a valiant but wobbly effort to get back on his feet. I dropped the chunk of bowl in my pocket and gave him a hand. Come on, fella. Up you go. Come on. All right, take it easy. Now sit over here and tell me what happened to you. Where am I? Who are you? Marlowe, Marlowe. Remember, you're in room 515 of the Walker House. 
When I left, you were waiting for Mona Waters, but I came back to find you spread out on the floor, as flat as that puddle of ink there on the desk blotter. Now, you take it. How come all this? Oh, yeah, yes, I, I remember now. I was struck. Yeah, yeah. But, Marlowe, the, the, the lights are out. And they're better left that way, unless you want the room full of irate citizens. Who struck you? I have no idea. I was sitting at the desk there, writing Miss Waters a note, because I, I decided not to wait any longer when I was hit from behind. That explains the spilled ink. What about the open window? It was closed when I left. Open window? Where? Where? Why, why that's strange. Strange? It's screwy. Nuts. What do you mean? Mr. Marlowe, just what is your position in this business? I'm a private detective working for Mr. Van Nord, and I'll tell you something else. Whoever slugged you, open that window and sail the precious Indian bowl right out into thin air, five stories high. Oh. Smashed down there on the sidewalk. Oh, the, the, the bowl is gone? Destroyed? Mm-hmm. Oh, no. Oh, yes. Well, that's hideous. The markings on that bowl were priceless. Why, Marlowe, great Scott, why was it destroyed? That's what I mean. See, it's screwy. Oh, wait a minute, I'll get it. Oh. Hello? Uh, Miss Mona Waters, please. It's urgent. Interstate Airlines calling. She's out. I'll take the message. Oh, thank heavens. We want to rectify a perfectly ghastly mistake. We're afraid the relief operator may have given Miss Waters 2.12 a.m. instead of 1.12 a.m. as a departure time of her plane tonight. But, baby, it's 12.30 now. If she leaves at 1.12... I she... know. We're just sick about it. Can she make it? I hope not. But I'll do my best to deliver your message in person. You're a dear girl for calling. Goodbye. What was it, Marlowe? Something important? Not archaeologically. I'll see you later. Oh, wait, wait. Isn't there anything we can do about the bowl? Yeah, oh, sure. Get a bottle of glue and a dustpan and hop to it. So long, Erskine. I'm off to the field of the Thunderbirds. Now, look, officer, I was just... Never mind. Well, Mac, you're batting a thousand. You pulled out of the hotel driveway two blocks back, ran one full stop and a red signal getting this far. That's great. So what's your story? Been drinking? Not a drop, believe me. Now, look, I've got to get to the airport in a hurry. Why? To catch an Indian girl. A guy named Jimmy Brown Bear was murdered tonight because a bowl was stolen. Wait a minute, wait a minute, hold it. Who was murdered? Oh, I know. What's it, you? There's no use in going anywhere. Officer, my name is Marlowe. I'm a private detective working on a case, and I gotta get to the airport. Private eye, huh? Let's see your papers. Oh, sure, sure. Here, they're, they're all here. I, I... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Philip Marlowe, license number. Hey, what's eating you? What are huh? you staring at? Blue-black lines on the palm of my hand. They, they look just like... Holy smoke, they are. That's the answer. I gotta get back to that hotel. It's a matter of life and death. Now, just please a give me a ticket. Give me three tickets. Only let me get back to the Walker House right now. Will your life depends on it? You better be right, Marlowe. Wait till I stop the traffic, then make a U-turn. <laughs> now go ahead. I made it back to the hotel in something under seven minutes for the round trip. I ran for the elevator, waited for the car to come down, and when the gate opened, bumped head-on into Clark Erskine oh. himself. I backed him into the elevator again at gunpoint and pushed the fifth-floor button. I didn't say a word. By the time the elevator stopped and the gate slid open, he was beginning to sweat. Marlowe, I, I, I just don't understand this. Why the gun? Take a guess, Erskine. I want to know what happened to Mona Waters. Why, I, I don't know. She, she didn't come back. Here, this is 515. Remember, go on, open it up. And get inside! <coughs> Now, listen, you, I know who killed Jimmy Brown Bear, and I found out plenty about the bowl, so talk. Where's Mona? Behind you with a gun in my hand, so don't move. Oh, great. Well, at least you're okay. 
except for a headache, yes. I just woke up in the bedroom with a heap big lump on my scalp, and I know a pale face who's going to pay for that. Drop your gun, Marlowe. Drop it. Now, who's this character here, and where's the bow? Marlowe headed Miss Waters. I, I saw him hit you and take it. I, I tried to stop him, but he hit me too. My name is Erskine. I'm an archaeologist. I only wanted to make a scientific study of the bowl, but this vandal here has destroyed it. Destroyed Marlowe! I down that wing and listen. Before you start shooting, there's a lot of wampum at stake. If nothing else, now keep that in mind. Okay, big wind, start blowing. Speak your piece and keep it straight. He's a treacherous liar, Miss Waters. I know I'm braced for that. Oh, you sweetheart, you. All right. The inscriptions on that bowl were the key to the treasure, which is probably no news to you two. You didn't know how to work it, Mona. But Erskine here did. He found out that some of the lines were etched into the clay and others were raised, like the face of type in a printing press. Do I go on? Pray do, Professor. All right, now look. If you look closely, beautiful, you'll see ink on his fingers. Also, you'll notice that a bottle of ink poured out on your desk blotter there made the same kind of ink pad you use for a rubber stamp. That ink was spilled by accident. Now, don't listen to him because... Shut up. Go on, Marlowe. Well, after he knocked you out and left you in the bedroom, all he had to do was roll that wide, flat border of the bowl through the ink. Then roll it again over blank paper and it printed. What's more, baby, if we look real close, we'll find a perfect printed map on your hotel stationery stuck in one of his inside no, pockets. No, you don't. You'll never get the chance. Marlowe, the guy on the floor is Jack Mona, lights out. Shoot the right man. Cream and sugar, Miss Waters. Thanks. Well, that's about the story, Mr. Van Orden. Mona here slipped the Indian bowl into your shipment to keep it away from the guys she knew were after it. And, of course, she had to follow the bowl here to L.A. Erskine followed her. I see. Hmm. It's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> Positively amazing. Marlowe, how did you discover that the intricate pattern on the bowl worked like a printing press? Oh, well, after Erskine had made his print of the map, he threw the bowl out the window to smash it so no one else could duplicate it. I got hold of a chunk of it and clenched it in my hand. I found out later when I passed that cop my credentials that the chunk of pottery had left separate distinct lines of ink on my palm. Terribly clever. Isn't he, Mr. Van Noo? Oh, take it easy, baby. Uh, <laughs> indeed, he is clever, Miss Waters. But what of poor Jimmy Brownbear? Well, Erskine followed me from the hotel at Jimmy's place and shot him, so I'd never have a chance to talk to him. He was a ruthless little guy, Clark Erskine. But if he survives that bullet wound, the state will get him for murder. Yeah. Oh, Miss Waters, you'll have to hurry and finish your breakfast so that you can catch your plane. Uh, but before you go... I have a little gift for you. <laughs> Excuse me, I'll get it. And Marlowe, speaking of gifts, I have one for you. Come here. Mm-hmm. Yo, baby, that's nice. <laughs> Is it for keeps? Of course not, silly. I'm an Indian giver, remember? <laughs> When I come to town again, I'll be rich and reckless and loaded with all that old Spanish gold. That's when I'll take my gift back again. With interest. So long, Filthy. Well, when I finally got home, completely fagged out at 10 o'clock in the morning... 
I took one look at my favorite chair, the big, deep, soft one, and then sank down into it good and hard. Ow! Ooh, something that felt like a broken beer bottle stabbed me. I reached for it, and it turned out to be the jagged chunk of the Indian bowl I dropped in my pocket earlier. For the first time, I really looked at the hieroglyphics on it. There were three Indian figures. The first was breaking sticks into uneven lengths. The second was holding a small fish, and the third was <laughs> running away with all the wampum. It took me a long time, but I finally got it, I think. The Indian picture message could only be translated one way. It had to mean never give a sucker an even break. And right then and there, I thought about Mona and what she'd said. That's when I'll take my gift back again with interest. So long, Phil Face. So long, baby. Adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character and crime's most deadly enemy, star Gerald Moore. Tonight's story was produced and directed by Cliff Howell. Script is by Mel Dinelli, Robert Mitchell, and Gene Levitt. Featured in the cast were Betty Lou Gerson, Hans Conried, Clark Gordon, Howard Culver, Peter Leeds, Jane Webb, and Jane Novello. The special music is written and conducted by Richard O'Ron. <laughs> Be sure and be with us again next week when Philip Marlowe says... Inside of two hours, a lavish mansion seethed with suspicion. A sealed cabin filled with gas and an artist's retreat had a corpse on the floor. All because one man was too good-looking to be true to anyone. There'll be a couple of unusual twists for mystery fans on Gangbusters and on Basil Rathbone's adventure tonight. Gangbusters will present a former chief of detectives on the New York City police, narrating the case of a bet on a long shot that ended in murder. Basil Rathbone's drama will find that suave gentleman going to jail himself in order to deliver a man to the police. This is Roy Rowan speaking. Now, stay tuned for Gangbusters, which follows immediately over most of these same CBS stations. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.